we walk into Bell's Kitchen, which was pretty much the only nice restaurant in town, and the place erupts. They're like, hey, the Americans. It was all the seven people that we'd seen in the bar. So we felt part of the community. We felt like we had friends, you know. One of the guys got up and he, he brings us to a, to our own table and he's like, hey, waiter, listen, these guys are VIPs. Take care of them, you know, give them the, give them the best you got. And we're like, oh, God, you're too good. We- Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of Live an Extraordinary Life. I am your host, Tim Bishop, and this podcast serves as a guide to help you define what an extraordinary life is for yourself. And on today's episode, we have a special guest, Mario Calabria. Mario Calabria is part of an intentional community that I have formed in my life called The Daydreamers, where we help each other experiment and chase what we all believe to be our own versions of the dream life and mario just got back from 18 months living in ireland and the little audio you just heard was a little part of a story he told while biking the entire western coast of ireland so this is a really good conversation that we had and we talked a lot about life travels what you learn from travels And we talked about Mario's story and what he is hoping to get involved in in the future. So enjoy this conversation. I know I did. Here it is. Today we got a special guest. Uh, It's Mario Calabria. Mario is one of my best friends and he's a part of a group that we call the Daydreamers. And we are a group of men who are chasing what I would say to be an extraordinary life, a shared life. And I brought him on today so he could talk about all the things he's been up to, his life story, and the things that he hopes to do in the future. Mario, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic. Happy to be here. That's And happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. It yes. is also my birthday, so special day. Special day. Let's go, let's go back. So Mario, for a backstory, just got back from Ireland. He was living there for 18 months? Yep. 18 months. Yep. Okay, so I want to go back to before, pre-Ireland stage, because you made a choice. You graduated from college, Mm -hmm. Michigan Tech. You made a choice to uproot your life and move to Europe for a year and a half. I want to talk about your mindset and how that decision ended up happening and and why you felt called to go do that. It It was something that I had been thinking about for a long time, so it was like, because my mom's from Ireland, so she was born there. I could get citizenship. So a, a lot of the, the fences and the borders for me came down immediately with that. So I got a passport. Then I could rock up and get a job. And so I thought, well, what if I do this? What if I try this? I didn't know what company I wanted to work for. It was my first job out of college. Um, so I went with the company that I had an internship with the summer before. But the real catalyst for going over there, the thing that actually made it possible, was that I just couldn't see... It felt a bit too standard for me to graduate and then go back to Minneapolis mm-hmm. and get a and get a job. So it was like, all right, if I, if I do this Ireland thing, it'll feel weird. It'll feel odd. And when I talk about the story, it'll, it'll be kind of a, a surprise that, oh, you moved? Yes. Yes, so I that's, did. <laughs> that's why, yeah, that's why I did it, because it was, it was different. It was the, the road less traveled, and, and it yeah. was a great opportunity. Yeah. And that, so when you were, like, when you were in college, right, you, I feel like that stemmed out of you 
first going to Chile, didn't it? Was that kind of like the first? I mean, I remember you coming back from that and you were like, dude, everything changed. Like I want to do new things. I want to. It, well, and then, I mean, then, I mean, obviously the family stuff happened too. So there was a lot going on with you, I feel like, in those yeah. last couple yeah. years that really probably opened up your mind a bit. Yeah, 2016 and on, January of 2016, I went to Chile on a study abroad for five months. Okay. Um, that was, I was getting, I was approaching burnout in college, and going to Chile helped me reverse that, helped me refresh my energy tank mm. um which was huge for me because i was i was unhappy with a lot of uh the aspects the pillars of my lifestyle before i went so going to chile was wonderful for a reset and then when i got back things did kind of snowball in a sense pops had the heart attack uh in fall of 2016 2017 was spent um finishing up school and kind of recovering from that um yeah. uh what i tell people is sad story happy ending so yeah. it's <laughs> it's uh it, it was recovering from that and then he's fine now and uh yeah then it it just kind of rolled straight into it i wasn't yeah like i said i didn't see myself plugging into a desk somewhere in no, in north america <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean that's the thought that I know we talk about a lot, but it's like, you always know that you always knew Minnesota was waiting for you. And yeah. the idea of just, if you never went to Ireland, if you never went and lived where your mom grew up and your grandparents grew up, then you just, you just never have done it. You wouldn't have gotten the experience. So true. So true. And I was also ready to leave Minneapolis forever. I was ready to leave. I was... And, and as a daydreamer, it added stress to my life in the sense that I knew my boys were here and I knew my parents were here. I always pictured it as something normal to move away from your parents, um, but I didn't, it didn't feel normal to move away from the guys because we have that community. And mm. I was like, well, how am I going to get them all to come to Washington? How am I going to get them all to come to Maine? How am I going to get them all to come to wherever wasn't Minneapolis? Because I felt... For me, it's like Beachtown, California. I don't yeah. think all the guys exactly. to move to like yeah. San Diego. So <laughs> I was like, how, how do I get everybody moved? Because I've checked the Minneapolis box. I've checked the Minnesota box. As naive as it sounds, there's nothing left for me there is what I thought. Yeah. And in moving away from home, <laughs> I developed such a love for all that was home. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be back here in Minneapolis. And it looks like what could be for at least three years, if not 11. Yeah. Um, if I end up trying to get into medical school here, yeah. which I'm open to. So it going away helped me develop a love for home that wasn't there before. Yeah. Man, and... I totally nerd out about The Alchemist. I don't know if, if you know that I've like read it like four or five times, I know the, that you, the yeah. book. And uh, that is like the message of the book. There's so many messages, but one of them is he goes off on his journey to find his treasure, which in the book it's an actual treasure. He thinks he's going to find gold. And he goes on this whole journey, gets to the Egyptian pyramids. He started in Spain to find out that the treasure chest was actually right where he started. <laughs> and so like 
Yeah. Well, I think that the value of doing something like that and thinking about it is really just that the treasure could be at home, but it could be away. But you're never going to know until you, you go. And it could be dispersed, but when you go and you try new things, I think it reminds you of all the things that you had and you couldn't, the perspective just wasn't there. There was no way you could view it like you do now. Mm. And now you know, totally. Ireland has a place in my life, but now I understand the value of home and family exactly. and commitment. So, oh yeah. That's awesome, man. Before we keep diving into it, I want to take two steps back because I, I just want you to share the story with your dad real quick because people probably don't know about it. Yeah. And I just think it's a pretty profound thing. I know you've talked about it a lot, but yeah, no, let's, just, let's the, do it. just the day. I want to get I want to get that out there just so people people know the backstory here. Yeah. So we'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Obviously, Perfect. you know the version. We'll give the audience Perfect. the Cliff Notes version. Uh, the, I was at Michigan Tech. We have a trail system there, um, and it's you know just wooded trails, right, ski trails. And me and my whole family, so there were six of us, including me, and then my brother's girlfriend, uh, we were biking in these bike trails. Uh, my dad had a massive heart attack. Um, and none of us, you know, he's a fit guy, healthy. Um, he was riding his bike, not fast, slow, in, uh, just over a small hill. We were all waiting there for him in kind of a semicircle. And all of a sudden, Pops just fell sideways. And I started laughing at him. I looked at him and go, Pops, quit acting like you don't know how to ride a bike, man. And Rory laughed too. And like, girls, all, we, it looked like he was just messing around, you know, kind of, because he wobbled a little bit before he went down. But yeah, he hit the ground and then he didn't move. And I go, oh my God, there's something wrong. So I walk up to him, run up to him. At this point, I have, my mind has gone completely blank, completely blank, because I was working at the time as an EMT, emergency medical technician. So I worked on what are a the serendipity, odds? right? What are the odds? I worked on an ambulance. I hadn't ever dealt with a heart attack before. This is my first time doing CPR, first time um, dealing with a, with a cardiac code, and so I, I went completely blank and it was just training. It was just another patient. It was like he was one of those CPR, faceless CPR dummies. Um, I looked at my mom and I told, I could tell he wasn't breathing. I looked at my mom and I said, I don't want to check for a pulse because I know I'm, I'm not going to find one. And she said, you have to check. I said, okay. So I checked for a crowded pulse, didn't find one. And at that point it was all it was work. It was Chelsea, call 911. I handed my mom my phone. She called one of the other EMTs, the director of our agency, an EMT agency, so we could get more of my fellow EMTs on campus to us fast. And I rolled them over and started CPR. First two pumps, seven ribs cracked, gone. And it was nasty the third the third compression was like squishing a sack of jelly it was pliable now and it was oh. it's just uh, yeah it wasn't great it wasn't great um so i'm doing cpr and about two minutes go by uh i'm getting ready to rotate for my mom to my mom for cpr uh and uh he gasps and i'm i'm like oh he got him back we did it. We gave him CPR and we got him back. So I'm, I'm selling a little bit. Uh, we roll him over uh, and he, he's breathing normally. 
and I'm like, this is sweet. He's got breath. He's got a pulse now. Um, this is good. He took four good breaths and then stopped again. I was like, Dad, you're doing this all wrong. You got to keep breathing. <laughs> and so I rolled him over again and um, started compressing again. And at that point, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And at this point, my reference of time is totally skewed. In there was about seven to eight minutes. Two or three of it was CPR. Um, we had already called 911, but my mom, I, I had called Travis on my phone and said, Travis, my dad had a huge stroke. Uh, I thought it was a stroke at the time. He's had a huge stroke. I need you right now. I need help. And it was Ross Michaels, one of my great friends, who put his arm on my shoulder and said, I got this. Um, I was bawling. I was bawling at this point because uh, I knew when we lost him the second time, I was like, oh, the odds that we get him back now, real slim. So he takes over compressions um, and he does a double take at me and he looks at me. He's like, all right, dude, you got to keep it. Hold it together, man. Hold it together. It's another call. He had no idea it was my dad. Nobody had any idea it was my dad. Everybody but Travis was in the dark. So they were coming over to me and they're like, dude, you got to keep it professional. Like we, we trained for this. If you want to, if you want to take a break, that's cool. Um, but then they slowly put it together. Like this is my dad. So, um, yeah, we're getting into the long story now, but they do compressions. They hook up the AED, um, and they do compressions for 17 minutes. Was it 17 minutes? Yeah. I think it was 17 minutes. So it was 19 minutes total. We shocked him five times with the AED, the defibrillator. And on the fifth one, he regained a steady beat. And he held it. Um, and we were... My mom was getting ready. My mom had called the girls over to say goodbye. She was saying her goodbyes. Um, and it was, we had a wonderful team. There were 13 paramedics there, or, or EMTs there. Um, there were police officers and there were two paramedics. And they whisked him into the ambulance and they flew out of the trails and made it to the local hospital. Uh, where they put his body on cryo rest. I don't know what they call it, but they, they cool it down. They, they basically drop your body temperature severely so that your heart doesn't have to work very hard. Um, and then they airlifted him to a, a major hospital. Um, so they got him there and they held him in um, that kind of that cryo rest for another 48 hours. Um, and normally after, after four minutes without CPR, you start to lose brain function, brain tissue starts to die and you, you can't regenerate brain tissue. And that manifests itself usually as brain damage. Um, so he hadn't, he had gotten CPR immediately, which is great. Uh, but he had 19 minutes of it which is not as good as a heart beating normally. So we didn't know if there was going to be brain damage. We didn't know if he was going to wake up at all. Four days later, wakes up and he goes, my chest kills. 
I was like, yeah, pops, you gave me too many chores when I was a kid. I broke seven of your ribs. <laughs> so um, he, long story short, he's fine. And uh, he's, he's doing really well. Recovered completely with no brain damage uh, whatsoever. Uh, and I, people are like, man, you, you totally saved your dad's life. I was like, yeah, technically, I got him back that first time. But it took... The whole team of us, you know, 19 yeah. minutes or whatever to get him back the second time. And it, it totally wouldn't have been possible without the team effort. Um, so like I said earlier, sad story, happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Really fortunate. Um, I'm going to start crying there. Yeah. I, I get goosebumps I, I don't still think on. I've really heard, like, gotten it like this before. Yeah. Yeah. It that's, was. It. That's crazy. I man. still get goosebumps when I tell the story. Yeah. It was sad story, happy ending. But um it was really cool to to be the first class of EMTs at Michigan Tech to get trained and certified. Um, and for being the first team that the school has ever had and to, to respond like that to a call like that, like they're they're good at what they do. They did it. Yeah, they're, they're all very, very good at what they do. They The practice, we intubated him, which is a complex procedure um, as far as EMT goes, and... Everything went off completely without a hitch. Completely without a hitch. So, yeah, it was, wow. a, it was a good good team effort. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. Thanks for sharing that. I, I want to tie that into now, like, what you guys are doing together a bit uh, later on. But we can return to our, to our timeline of the story now where cool. you are showing up in Ireland. And now I want to dive into a bit of the weeds here of the... <clears throat> of the 18 months on island because you know when you first show up somewhere i feel like you're in vacation mode almost you're like holy i'm living in europe yeah but then i assume that evolves into a okay now i just live in europe and now there is day-to-day -day routines that return and now there is so i want to talk about the most exciting parts of that and the biggest struggles of that of the just the day-to-day -day being like okay i am in a new country i'm doing new things you're fishing you were x y and z what were some of the most exciting parts of that and then what were some of the biggest struggles that started to appear over the course of the year and a half by living there i'd say the exciting the exciting part initially was having being so wealthy with time when i landed i was the richest man alive in the sense that i would go to work and I'd come home and I had like six hours of free time to do whatever I wanted with. And that was never something I experienced in college because I was doing uh, sports and they were all things I wanted to do, but they were still things that it had to be done, you know? Right. So sports, um, EMT took up a big chunk of time, uh, homework, massive chunk of time, and then the daily to-dos, working out, all that. But when I went to Ireland and I was, I was recently out of college, I had a, a new wealth of time that I could use and spend on really figuring out what I like to do, you know? Because mm. if, you, if you never have any time to spend your, your own time, you never know kind of what you like to do. And on top of that, the fact that I was in a completely new environment, I, it was like, all right, let's figure out what I like to do and let's figure out what there is to do here that I like. Right. And... It was so fun, so exciting, like you said, to 
to get home from work and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to cook a really fancy chicken stock. The, the, the ones that you don't whip up in 40 minutes, the ones that take six hours to make or 12 of simmering and this and that and the other thing. And it was like, I have time to do that. And then since I have chicken stock left over, I'll make chicken soup and then that's my meal for the next three days. But then for the next three days, I'll go fishing or snorkeling or, you know, speed dating coffee shops, you know, it was, everything was new. Yeah. Everything was new. And I had time. I had time. And so I felt very, very wealthy. Um, that was very exciting. Nice. That was very exciting. Awesome. And then, so yeah. And then what was the, so what was the, the struggle as the evolution happened? Where did the, where did some of the pain points come in eventually by being in that new environment all of a sudden I, I mean I, I know you've mentioned some of these to me as the course 18 months went on but I want to hear them from from your mouth a bit struggle at the onset everything day to day took just a little bit more energy in the sense that you know I want to take a bus into town okay the bus system's different there the buses here are usually arrive on the minute man buses in Ireland you are better off rolling dice and then multiplying it by 10 and that's the number <laughs> of minutes they'll be late it's it's a different system so you, you have to rely differently on the bus system um the food uh you have to weigh your vegetables and put stickers on them at some stores um your your cell phone plans are different Every, everything is slightly different All right and that took a lot of energy. So for the first two weeks, I was exhausted and fed up with almost everything when I got home from the day. <laughs> it was like, this takes so much energy to just get through the day. And in hindsight, that's the number one reason everybody, I would encourage everybody to move abroad after they graduate. Because um, it was a great growth experience, but that hurt. A little bit. Yeah. 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 So then how long in did Brooke move over there? Brooke moved over in September. So I had nine months okay. before she came over. And that was another... And that that I think would have been a struggle here too or anywhere. Moving in with your significant other for the first time. A yeah. significant other for the yeah. first time. Um, it, you know, you just get to know them a whole lot better. Yeah. Those first four months were tough. Uh, but after that, it's fantastic. It was such a great setup. Man, we had a small apartment, a one, one, one kitchen, one bedroom, flat. Barely a kitchen. Barely a kitchen. <laughs> Couldn't tell where the kitchen room, the kitchen and the living room ended or started. And, and we lived in there, the two of us, with a, with a little walled patio out the back. And it was in the middle of town walking distance to everything god it was bliss yeah there we could walk to the market every saturday morning we could walk to the grocery store at 10 30 at night and get buckets of ice cream and eat them together <laughs> uh, the limit eventually came in didn't it ice cream limit eventually we consumed inordinate amounts of ice cream <laughs> it was just bad yeah unsustainable but yeah those are that was that was a struggle um but yeah all is well that ends well. Yeah. Oh, man. 
That's awesome. So then you, then basically, I mean, you're about what, 15, 16 months in when you decide that you're kind of ready to move on from Boston Scientific, the job. Yeah. So you're working as a mechanical engineer, correct? For yep. Boston Scientific. Yep. This whole time in Galway. And at some point you realize that change was near. Mm. Yeah. So when Brooke landed, she had a visa that only lasted a year. So when she landed in September, we knew we had to be out by September next year. Okay, so it was in the works a bit. It was in the works, yeah. We knew that there was going to be a an exit strategy within the year. Um, that got sped up by a healthy disregard for what's normal and an unfortunate work situation. I'll explain both real quick. Work, I had been working there for a year when it, we got to January of 2019. And I'd had five managers. So at this point, I had Jeez. my fifth manager. And it was tough to uh, it was tough to gain ground with any of them. You know, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to work hard and show you that I'm worth, I'm the juice that's worth the squeeze. <laughs> but if you leave, I have to do it all over again. So I got my fifth manager and I sat him down and I said, listen, I'm the best graduate manufacturing engineer that works in this department. And I'm going to show it to you. You don't have to take my word. I'm going to show you. Um, and I worked my tail off and I designed a tool that would save us about 25 hours a week um, of time that we just spent compiling graphs. Um, I was a spreadsheet cowboy <laughs> and it was basically a tool that built the spreadsheets for us with the click of a button. Um, and I rolled it out to the team and they loved it. And I said, all right, now I told you I was worth it. I'm looking for a promotion. He goes, that's great. That's great. I was like, oh, <laughs> dude, I, I need a, I deserve a promotion. And at that point there was friction, um, not bad friction, but friction. You know, I, right. you know, it was my first experience of learning how to negotiate a situation where I believed I was worth um, a promotion and they didn't have the funds or the timeline um, or the the care for their underlings. Um, I think that's the combination it ultimately came down to. Loved my time at Boston Scientific. That experience of going through that friction was excellent. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough. So when I was going through that, I realized at a certain point, they're not going to promote me. They're not going to promote me for another, for another year. And I, I can't wait around for that. Um, I also don't want to wait around for that. They've shown me that I'm not very valuable to them. So at least that they don't care enough about me to promote me. So um, let's let's exit. Let's, let's pull the chute and let's jump. And the exit was sick. <laughs> yes, the exit was called the Huawei or the Wild Atlantic Way. Oh, okay. Um, I... I've heard some stories, but you got to, because the next, was it four months? No, it was four weeks. Or no, I mean like the overall, like you were, when you stopped your job until the moment you got back three here. Months. Yeah. Three months. Okay. You went on a three month journey with your yeah. significant other, Brookness, yes. and you started with the Wild Atlantic Way and then you did a bunch of stuff. But let's start with the Wild Atlantic Way. Talk about that and just give me one story. I know you got amazing yeah. stories, but... Give me a story and then give me like oh. the, the last day reflection. Like when you finished it and you knew you were done with it. Yeah. Like what was going through your okay. head. I got your story. Sweet. 
So the Wild Atlantic Way is Ireland's western seaboard. You start at the bottom and you cycle to the top of the island of Ireland and you hug the coast on the way. And there are tons of inlets and, and, and peninsulas and crags and bays and islands that you can spend your time going to and from. We didn't stick religiously to the route, um, but we covered 880 miles in 32 days. Uh, started south, went north. Incredible experience. Uh, wouldn't have made it if I'm an outdoorsy guy. I love sleeping outdoors, tents, the elements. Wouldn't have made it. I would have quit just because it was miserable weather. We got <laughs> it was Ireland's wettest month. Uh, second wettest month in the last 10 years. Um, and in Ireland, it already is wet every month. Yeah. So this, yeah, we got, we got drowned. Um, but having Brooke there, having my partner there with me, made it awesome. <laughs> an experience shared is an experience doubled is what Sam told me once. And it's so true. Um, and also having your wingman through a crappy experience is excellent yeah it's a really it's a really good combo um yeah so having brooke there was fantastic the one story i'll tell is a story and this correlates to one of the biggest reflections i had um about the the goodness in humanity in people mm -hmm. so we were nearing the end of the journey we had about four days ride left which was about Ooh, 240 kilometers. So we said, we still haven't slept on an island. Um, and we have to do that. There are little tiny islands that pepper Ireland's west coast. We went to Tory Island. It had to be the most remote. It's Ireland's most remote island. It's 11 miles off the coast. And it was horrible getting out there. Almost puked. Saw dolphins. That was cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, almost fed the dolphins, yeah. the We get out to Torrey Island, we camp there, it was a wonderful night. And it was that morning that we woke up, we're like, all right, we have to make it to... Ooh, I don't remember the name of the town. Rathmullen, that's the one. Rathmullen. Right. Sorry, I had to, yeah, no. Rathmullen. So we, we get to Rathmullen and there's a ferry that takes us across a bay there and the last ferry or the last ferry leaves at 6 30 and it's like 6 20 and we're still like three or four kilometers away so we gotta race we have to fly so we get there at like 6 25 6 26 like oh my god we made it we made it we're soaked soaked to the bone freezing it's dark um it's bad it's just not a not a happy place to be the ferry's closed oh. we're like wait a minute if we can't get across this ferry we have to cycle around the bay that's an extra 70 kilometers and a day that we don't have in the trip there go there it goes we missed our deadline we're not going to be able to finish we have to leave and go to europe i was like there's no way i'm not finishing this thing i wanted to throw my bike into the ocean and forget about it forever <laughs> i go up to one of the dock workers and i'm like all right what are our options guys i need to get across this bay and i don't want to cycle around it he's like you're out of luck dude the ferry stopped sailing yesterday on the weekends it only sails on 
on weekdays now. And I was like, oh, oh, that's not good. So it would have been three or four days before we could take the ferry again. I think it was, yeah, they sold, sold, sailed only on weekends. He goes, try and find Angela and see if she'll take you across. I was like, okay. Who's Angela? Yeah. <laughs> but at this point, I knew enough about small towns in Ireland that that's a classic response. I was like, all right, where can I find her? And they're like, yeah, check the pub at the top of the road. I said, okay, no sweet. So we walk up. It's called the White Heart. And we walk in and we're, I've, you know, I've got completely fogged glasses. We're soaked. We're wearing blaze yellow. Um, and we walk in and all, all seven or eight people in the bar pivot, look at us, and it gets quiet. And the lady behind the bar, uh, Tish, she says, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for a, a woman named Angela. And Angela leans forward from the bar and says, what do you want? And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm asking for a huge favor here. Um, we, here's our situation. We're pinched. We need to get across this, this bay. And she said, listen, the weather's bad. I can't sail. I can't sail over there for the next probably two or three days. I'm like, oh, okay. She goes, well, I'll take you. I'll take you at that point. I said, okay, that, that's huge. Thank you for your effort. Thank you for your help. But I needed a, I needed a faster solution. Yeah. So we sit down. The rest of the people go back to chatting. We sit down, and I'm just kind of decompressing. And the lady behind the bar comes up and says, do you have a place to stay tonight? I was like, no, but, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a campsite 20 kilometers away. Um, we'll, get, we'll get to it. You know, and we had been tenting the whole time, nearly the whole time. And she's like, okay, and have you eaten? And we're like, no, we don't. Okay, we're out of food at the moment, but we'll, we'll hit a gas station or something like that, which was standard procedure. So we weren't too worried. And she goes, okay, well, I'm going to make a few calls and I'll see what I can do. It's like, all right, sweet. Thank you. Um, so in that time, we started chatting with the people at the bar, kind of got to know a few of them. Um, and it's starting to feel a little bit better. You know, yeah. we're, we're starting to talk to people. Tish comes back to us and says, okay, you're going to have dinner at Belle's Kitchen. You're going to stay um, with two of my friends. And in the morning, I'll call Connor. He has an oyster fishing boat, and he'll take you across the bay. Oh, let's go. I like, <laughs> and I asked her, I was like, and re remind me your name? Because I didn't even know her name at this point. She was totally looking out for us. And um, long story short, we went to Belle's Kitchen. Uh, or she took us to her friend's house. Um, and they had this beautiful king bed and they're like, I'm sorry, it's, it's only, you know, it's, it's only our spare room. I'm like, this is a bed with a roof <laughs> heating and it's a king size. This is luxury beyond compare. And, and she's like, all right, well, well, that's good. I'm glad you, you, you like it. Now, listen, we'll, we'll get you over to Bell's Kitchen for dinner before they close. We walk into Bell's Kitchen, which was pretty much the only nice restaurant in town. And the place erupts they're like hey the americans it was all the seven people that we'd seen in the bar so we felt part of the community we felt like we had friends you know one of the guys got up and he he brings us to a, to our own table and he's like hey waiter listen these guys are vips take care of them you know give them the give them the best you got and we're like oh god too good we had wonderful food um, we picked up some gift certificates from there. Um, we went back to Tish, gave her one, and we went back and gave the lady who ran the B&B &B that we stayed in um, one, her friends. 
And in the morning we woke up and Tish was on the pier waiting for no us way. with her dog and a guy named Connor, Connor. In, in a big oyster fishing boat. Um, oh, and wow. we, we sailed across, the sun was shining and we blitzed it for the northernmost point of Ireland and we made it. We made it to yes. Mullen Head later that day and it, it wouldn't have been possible without the community, without the good of humanity. So it was, and that, that story, that same idea happened twice in that month. Once, once was in, um, in Buncrana or Cara Daniel. That's what it was. Cara Daniel in the South. And it was, that's, yeah, it was fantastic. So people, there's, there's good in humanity. Oh, there, there, is, there, there really is, you know, you, oh, man. you see another person, um, when we were on the road, it was, it, people stopped, um, we stopped seeing people as like, oh, there's somebody I have to not bump into or somebody like, if, if you see somebody in traffic, you're like, God, this guy's being an idiot. He's in my way. You know? Yeah. You know, people often represent something not good. You know, it's like this person's in my way or it's going to take my spot in line or it's going to do something Do you know, make my life harder. Right. But we were, we learned to, when we saw people, it was like, Hey, how are you? You know, I'm one, I'm a person just like you and we should connect about that. You know, we should, we should be friends, you know? And it, it was, uh, it was just the good of humanity, all yeah. colors, sizes, shapes, whatever. And it, oh, it, we, we learned that through, through their kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, it was beautiful. That's man. That is so awesome, dude. And yeah, I love that. Just connecting on, it's so easy to forget that we're all just humans. It sounds funny, but it's just, there is always like this guy or this girl or this it's just like what like yeah. like we all just want the same things and yeah. we're all just human and just, just in that environment it's easier just to be like oh hey like i'm mario like, yeah nice to meet exactly. you exactly <laughs> rather than uh, like you cut me off and now i want to hop my horn at you or whatever yeah. <sighs> okay well i want to get i want to get to minnesota now but before we do that i just feel like a lot of people don't know what woofing is so yes. i want you to, to share so what woofing is and what you did and just that process after the bike trip after the bike trip, so we did, we did the month of, uh, of the bike trip and then the second and third months of our exit strategy before we came back to the States was a combination of visiting friends in Europe um, and woofing. We visited Aiden in Norway, my uncle in the south of France each a week and then we spent two weeks woofing in Italy in Chiani. Woofing is the worldwide organization of organic farmers and you go and stay on an organic farm with a host family and you work for them uh, and in return they feed you and house you. It's a beautiful, beautiful arrangement because you get to the meat and potatoes of what traveling is really about, most of it, um, right away and you get a kind of a direct intravenous dose of it. You get to meet the people and you get to eat their food. That's those two are two of the, the main reasons I travel. Um, when I go to a place, I'm looking to get to know the people and their food. And that's hard when you buy your Delta ticket in, stay a week, and Delta ticket back out. Yeah, It's hard to get to know the people. Um, so when you go there, you have a complete stranger that you, you 
are welcomed into their home and they feed you and you work with them. So we got to know an Italian family. We got to eat their food. And then we we didn't have anything else. You know, any of the busy day-to-day, got to change the oil in the car, got to run the groceries, got to do all this. So we had a lot of free time after that. And so we, we got to spend it, like again, the wealth, time, spend it doing what we wanted to do. Um, and that was a wonderful break. If you want a vacation, go somewhere that has a poor Wi-Fi signal. If you want a vacation, go somewhere where there isn't a TV. Um, you'll find yourself diving into books or crafts or journaling or, you know, that's not sustainable forever, but it's, it was a fantastic way to spend two weeks. Yeah. And then we went, uh, and visited friends for two weeks in Spain and then did another two week wolfing session in Spain. And again, fantastic, fantastic opportunity. Man, that's, yeah. I want to do that someday. I want to do it. Yes. And just actually learning how, like... We eat food oh, every yeah. day, all the time, and 1% of us, 0.001% of us have actually been a part of making that food. Yeah. So just could, to get that perspective. Totally. I could launch into a tirade on the reproductive systems of, or reproductive habits of chickens. We'll keep that for the next Yeah, next, next time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's these things that you learn that it's like, oh, I guess that is yeah. how eggs work, yeah. you know? And so it, you learn a lot about what I think is very, very good knowledge to have is, you know, when do you pick mm. a fruit? When do you, how do you grow these things? You know, does this grow on a tree? Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's, it, it was excellent, excellent way to spend time as wolfing. Awesome. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Well now I want to get to, I think the most, one of the most fascinating parts of travel is the post travel because when you're traveling, you are, you are there. And it, we talked about it too because we were all met up in Spain and I was saying how, wow, this was so incredible because there was just no distractions because of the environment. There was no other people to tend to. There was no family to tend to. And you were maybe kind of used to that because you had been an island for so long. But for me, it's always like, I got my high school friends in Minneapolis. I got my college friends in Minneapolis. I got the daydreamers in Minneapolis. I have my family in Minneapolis. And there's constantly, you're, my business, there's all these things that need your attention. But when you show up and you travel, you can just be there. Yes. And then you come back and you're in a, you're in it back to the old environment. And I that's happened to me twice where after Thailand and after Europe, both times it was like, okay, what do I do with all this? So what, this is such a big question. What did you extrapolate? What are the, the main things that you took that you feel like, are now a part of you. Like now you took like the main lessons, the main, maybe it's a, a point of view. Maybe it's a mind, a mind shift. What are the, some of those things that you now have? And to follow up with that, I want to dive into two things, which I, we can refresh this are what you're doing now with your dad and why that's kind of special to you. And then the, the daydreamers and how you feel like your evolution with that relationship has evolved and why, you're finding purpose being in Minnesota again. Okay, so, big, so let's start with the things that you took out of the trip and now you feel like I'm back in Minnesota, but but you know, I mean, you're a wiser person for doing this. What are Yeah, you? yeah, okay. So things I got from the trip and how have I gotten back into the fold at home? Yeah. Um, the first thing that hit my head when you were like, things I take from the trip is sustainability. 
when I work with my dad, I work, we work in a workshop. Um, he's like, all right, sweet. So we need to do this project. We need angle irons and we need, um, uh, tape and screws and a drill and wood. Great. Um, and my first thought is where in the shop can we find an angle iron? And he's like, Oh, there's a steel factory. We can go, we'll just go buy one. We could buy one, but there's two over there. He's like, yeah, they're not, they're not ideal size. They're not I'm like, yeah, well let's, let's make it work. There's steel over there. Oh, it's just going to go somewhere else or we're going to have to store it or, and that the idea of using what's already there and not, not buying new stuff is a totally different mindset than the one that exists with my family. I, I say my family because I, I can't make that generalization about Minnesotans or Americans. Hmm. Um, my family ha happened to come into a lot of money because my mom has worked so hard over the last few years since I've been gone. They've moved into a much bigger house. Their lifestyle is a bit different. It's much more luxurious. Um, <clears throat> and the, the mindset, and I think this is, there are m hundreds of thousands of people in, in America who think like this, let's just buy a new one. Let's just get a new one. Let's just you know, get one more. Let's take three. Two of them might fail. You know, let's get three. But in Europe, there's a different, you know, let's, let's use less, use less. That's mm one thing I've taken back with me mm. use less um, and kind of and moving towards the second question is of how I came back into the fold it's been a bit different because I'm restarting when I left when I graduated college and went over to Ireland I was restarting um, I had to find a new job I had to find a new grocery store a new place to get my hair cut a new everything I had to figure out how to do all this stuff in a different spot. And then when I finished there and came back, I knew where to get the haircuts and the groceries, but it's like, all right, what am I going to do now? Um, and, and I'm living with my family now, moved back in with my parents. And so that's new again. So, Oh, so so getting back into the fold, I didn't have to, I didn't have to try and fit into an old pair of shoes again. Mm. Um, it was it was come back and and make completely different footprints. Um, but one of the things that I think helped me do that was the woofing, not woofing specifically, but the idea of a break. And it also happened on the way to Ireland. When I graduated college, I wasn't burnt out, but I was worked out. I, well, I, I wasn't motivated intrinsically. Um, it was like, all right, I, I know I have to get good grades because that's what you're supposed to do. I know I need to, you know, I should cook my own meals and try and make as much home-cooked organic food because that's healthy. I should work out three times a week because that's healthy. I should... I should, I should, I should, I should, I should. But when I moved to Ireland, I was like, oh, I need a little bit of a break. And I took four months and I just watched Netflix. 
like the first four months. And like I said, that time, I used it to just loaf around the place. To chill. Just to chill. Watch Netflix and um, chill. Not do anything productive. It took four months for me to feel like, all right, I want to get after it. I want to get after it. I want to do other things other than Netflix. So a lot of a lot of my time in college I was like, oh, I always want to just I always just want to break and put the brakes on and and chill and and I wasn't because I couldn't because I was too busy. There was an imbalance there. And you can do imbalance. Life is all full of imbalance, but for a huge period of time for like four years that's not smart so i realized like if i if i feed that desire for enough time i'm gonna feel balanced again so i i i chilled hard for four months and then at the end it was like all right i don't really want to watch netflix today i want to go fishing i remember the first day i was like hey john one of my coworkers, like, want to go trout fishing he's like dude i'm actually going trout fishing this afternoon you want to come with caught my first Irish trout it was the beginning of what became my exploration of the outdoors in Ireland um but I did that because I wanted to I wanted to do that I wanted to get back because I was in balance yeah I worked a year and a half got all out of balance again which is fine um and then did my trip my month on the road on the bike and then my two months in Ireland and when I was woofing Mm. I had that time again and this time I didn't take four months. You know, I did woofing for two weeks and I managed to fill that cup again. The balance returned. The balance returned. And what was crazy is that when I landed back in the States and before I landed back in the States, I was like a slingshot pulled back as far as it could be and ready to go. Yeah, you were Was <laughs> ready to fire. And when I got back to the States, I did. And it was an explosion of, of creativity, of self, of productivity, of efficiency and of happiness. It was like, it, this is the lifestyle that I want to lead. And there was a lot more balance there. Not perfectly balanced. Yeah. There was a lot more balance there than there ever was before. Um, and I was taking time to play the piano, taking time to read, taking time to chill and watch Netflix. Grey's Anatomy, been my thing lately. <laughs> and so it's, you know, that was one, one big thing that to kind yeah. of answer both questions at once. One thing I learned over there was balance. Yeah. You need to break. You need to take those times off. It's okay to go a number of even years with a certain amount of imbalance, but then when you go on holiday, go on holiday. Yeah. Leave the Wi-Fi at home. Find that balance, whatever way you do it. And then use that time to, to really write the skills again. Come back and you're ready to fire again. More clarity. Yeah. Forward. Totally. So yeah. that was one thing I learned over there was the balance and then coming back. That has served me hugely. Back in, um, back in the city, baby. Yeah, back in the city. <laughs> and it, I've been here for three weeks now, and I love it. Yeah. I love my lifestyle, and it's good. And, you know, it's not forever. Yeah. I'm going to hit the next low or the next high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll be out of balance again, but that's, you take it as it comes. But this is working for me right now. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Oh, man. There's just so many questions I could just keep asking you and keep asking you, but let's let's close with the two topics the second to last topic i want to ask like your just what it means to you now that you left your back and you're working with your dad helping him build his workshop 
Well, it's the and it's I know you just like to do stuff anyways because you're an engineer. <laughs> yeah. But talking about all that, I mean, it must be kind of cool, right, to be working it's with very your cool. dad, and you just you haven't seen him in a long time. The relationship's important to you. Yeah. And just working together again. Yeah. While I was away, while I was in Ireland, I realized. So my dad has had, after the heart attack, he got an mm-hmm. implantable defibrillator put into his heart so that if he had another heart attack, it would zap him on its own and he wouldn't necessarily need all the EMTs again. Um, and he has had three heart attacks since that big one. One of them was another big one, but the defibrillator, the defibrillator saved his life. And he had two other minor ones and it also saved his life in those instances. So while I was in Ireland, I was hearing news of, you know, Pops had another heart attack. He's fine, but had another heart attack. Um, and I realized from, I think more so from the fact that I was away from him, mm. but also equally because I knew that there's a serious possibility that Pops won't be there tomorrow. That's just the reality of it. And I realized like, man, my dad is one of my best friends. I go to him for guidance. He and I think very similarly. Yeah. We're both, we went to that doctor's appointment and we took our jackets off. We realized we're dressed in the exact same clothes. <laughs> Idiots. Yeah, we're, we're as close to carbon copies as you can come for people who are 34 years in age different. Um, and so I realized, I was like, this, this dude is cool and I like spending time with him. And I want to... I want to spend more time with him. I want to have a period of time where I can say, all right, me and Pops did X, Y, Z. And that thing is helping him in the workshop. He can't drive at the moment because of the defibrillator and um, he's not flying because he can't have a heart attack behind the yoke. So uh, he's at home. He's making money the only way he knows. Oh, (laughs) not true. The only way he can at home without being able to drive is the workshop. Um, but they just moved into this new house and his tools are all in different spots. There's, they don't have an, uh, you know, the right cables and light stuff to be done. So much stuff to be done. Um, it's a new house. And so it's like, all right, let's, let's not fix it up, but make it our home. And it's a monumental effort. And I said, sweet, when I land back in the States, I'll work with you for six months. We'll do this together. And it's been awesome before I left. When my dad and I worked together, I was like, all right, let's 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 do it this way. He's like, that's a great idea. However, if we do it this way, we can skip two steps and it'll be done in half the time. And I'm like, as much as I don't want to admit it, that is a much better approach. <laughs> he always had a really good way of doing it. Yeah. Um, and now when I come back, I'm an adult and we're working together, I've got half the best ideas. Hey-o. Which feels great. Yeah. It feels great. So it's it's fun to do engineering stuff from a nerdy standpoint. Like I love working with the nuts and bolts. Um, but also working with Pops is great. great. Living with the fam is great. Man, awesome. Well, final question. Yeah. 2020. We got a big year coming up for us, don't oh, we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of stuff happening with the Daydreamers. And so the context, and again, I mean... I don't know if people, you know, there's going to be episodes about the Daydreamers. Who knows if people listen to this episode have heard it. But it's a group of seven of us. And, you know, we it's not like it's this exclusive group. Like, we all have our other friends. We all have a variety of friends. But the unique thing, I think, about 
this group and the reason why there's a name of it is a long story yeah. we don't gotta get into it it's yeah. kind of a corny a corny yeah. fun thing but there's just a lot of shared i think values and shared interests that align and in a lot of big friend groups um for me personally like i have a ton of friends in high school and college but as a whole collectively not the whole group always shares the same values and it feels unique to have a group that has very similar values and very similar things and we got big plans coming up so what are you what are you most excited about to do because i know we got some big things coming up for 2020 to do with the group and just now that you're back and you have the opportunity to be with your friends again you know there's there's got to be some moments you're just excited to have because you were so far away for so long yeah i i'll say this the the daydreamers really came together when i was in ireland and I didn't feel the same romance about the group initially. Um, and I was like, you know, what, what is it with all these guys that, what do they, where's the glue? I'm not feeling the glue that holds us together. And then y'all came to Ireland and flew to see me for a week yes, sir. and a half. And we had a fantastic time. And you flew back. And then we all met in Spain. And we came back. And Those were two of like, the best weeks of my life. Yeah, they were fantastic experiences. <laughs> That's, I think, what makes the Daydreamers different from my other friends. For me, is that they show up. They mm. put in the, the effort to be there for one another. It's a support system that I've, unlike any that I've ever had. Um, and I'm excited to be a part of that support system now. That was something that changed while, while I was abroad. I was like... Oh, I feel the need to be with the daydreamers, be, you know, be in Minneapolis, but I don't want to be in Minneapolis. I want to be in Washington or Maine or, or Oregon. Um, and now it's like, no, these, these guys will show up for me, whether I want to have fun, whether I need help, whether I want to talk, whether I want to not talk, work out, you know, we do things together. We're all different people. We yeah. have conflicting views, which is also something that makes the bond strong. Mm. So for me, the daydreamers are people who are repeatedly putting in the effort to show up, to lend support, to be there. Um, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's the difference for it's me. It's true. You know, all of us, you know, I have funny friends and, and you know, fast friends and this friend and that friend, and all in different spots. But these are a group of seven who have prioritized, there's the word I'm looking for, prioritized yeah. the yeah. group over other things yeah it's like no i i can't i can't work this week i the daydreamers are in spain i can't i can't work that week. i'm sorry yeah, yeah. that's a matter of fact i'll help you work it out but i'm going to spain um and excitement for 2020 at the beginning i was like oh yeah you know what it has to be the next trip I'm, i get excited for the next trip but we're all together not all of us shout out to aiden ledger <laughs> in Minneapolis, um, we're here. Yeah, you know we can we can have that support at home too. So that's the part that I'm excited about is is being back with the guys and and living the daily. Um, Having a birthday party tonight, man. Exactly, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be. You know, we all fly to Ireland. We go spear fishing and crab diving and mountain climbing and outdoor cooking and. All the things that I love to do, it can be simple, you know, hey, let's get together and let's figure out how to make this recipe or figure yeah. out how to 
fix this thing or like hey will you teach me this piano song or yeah you know whatever it is um the simple the simple things the day yeah. day things yeah so i've realized that it with the with the group of people with the daydreamers i'm excited for the journey more than i am the destination the destination being the year the the trip we take at the end of the year or the next trip we take or, or you know whatever it is but for yeah. me i'm like no the way on the way to that is going to be, gonna be great. the best part for me. So excited for that. Excited for trying to get into med school. Yes, sir. Excited for Camp Chippewa. All of it. All of it. Very yeah. excited. Yes, sir. Very, very excited. It's a, it's a great day to be a Husky. It's good. <laughs> I was Michigan Tech Husky. So yeah, that's what my coach used to say on the worst training days. It's a great day to be a Husky. Great day to be a Husky. I feel like 2020 is just going to be... I don't know, I have this feeling. I don't want to like label it, but I just have a feeling about the year. And it's good. Yeah. It's good energy. Good. Yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot there's a lot brewing. Yeah. That just feels great. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely excited. Well, I'm gonna get you on another episode sometime to talk about Yeah, your, I don't wanna stop. Talk about your I don't either. <laughs> this is good. We, gotta, we gotta go cook dinner. Oh, okay. But um we're gonna get an episode. We're gonna talk about the school and and about oh, the vision for yeah. that. So that's gonna happen, and we're gonna get a lot more time to talk. But for this one, I want you to close it with this two years of your life. There's just one main message you could leave with listeners. Um, something on your heart right now. What would what would be your your parting your parting message for episode one of Mario Calabria featured on the Live an Extraordinary Life podcast? Find someone. Who will do your stuff with you and make it better than you could have made it alone and then hold on to them I will say that I did a lot of cool stuff in Ireland I did a lot of cool stuff in Europe but the coolest part about it was that I could do it with Brooke and we did it together yeah that I'm grateful for Brooke. I'm grateful for having that relationship. So find find a wingman, partner in crime, and do cool things with them. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, dude. This is awesome. Yeah. Excited to keep talking. And uh, people, you'll be hearing a lot more about Mario. He'll be, he'll be in and out, but he'll be in, in my life forever. So we'll have a lot of stories to share throughout the all right beautiful people thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show i hope this conversation with mario one of my best friends and an incredible man helped show you some of the value of travel and i hope that some of his stories help just to give you some perspective on your own life and to help you reflect on the things that you really want to do in the world and who you want to do them with so go live an extraordinary life and i will see you next time